0: Good morning. Did you catch what I did there? Um, How many of you caught that I said good evening this morning? Anybody? Nobody? Well, now you all know, so I shouldn't have said anything in the first place. Um, Probably because I was running on just like a couple hours of sleep um, from last night, thanks to some little person over there. Um, But we're, we're okay. We survived. Hopefully I'll be a little bit more coherent uh, tonight. I've got a little bit of energy in me. I'm feeling a little bit jazzed right now. So hopefully we'll we'll be able to keep things together uh, this evening. Uh, Nonetheless, I'm grateful that you have braved the weather, that you are here this evening. I know we have quite a few missing, so I trust that many of them are with us online. So I'm grateful for that avenue and for what we're able to do through streaming. So to those of us who are joining us in that way, thank you also for being with us. We are continuing our series here on questions and answers every third Sunday night of the month, and this is one of my favorite nights of the month, uh, because I get kind of an insight to some of you all. Now, I don't know who who asked these questions, but I at least get to see a little bit of kind of maybe what goes through your mind and some of the things that you might think, some of the questions that you might have. Two questions we're going to answer tonight as we have been doing uh, thus far. We're going to go pretty quickly through question number one because I want to spend the most of our time on question number two. It's a question that i 've been wanting to cover for quite some time, but I just haven 't been able to do it yet because of the adequate time that it took to put into preparing an answer for that question so we 'll get to that uh, in just a few moments. but first question is this it 's a really good question too: Why does God allow natural calamities to take place in this life? And the person who wrote in this question, they said things like tornadoes and hurricanes and diseases and all kinds of things like that. Why does God? allow those kinds of things to take place? To begin answering this question, I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 1. I think it's so important that we go back to the beginning of creation, go back to the beginning of this world to understand how things were before corruption came into this world. You remember, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and you remember if you look at verse 4, verse 10, verse 12, 18, 21, and also verse 25, what does God say about his creation? He kind of takes a step back, and every single day, what does he say? He says, everything that I have made is good. And then it's almost like he takes a giant step back in verse 31, and he says, everything that I have made is very good. And it's almost like he's saying, everything that I've made is perfect. It is literally the best that could be. There was nothing wrong. Nothing has messed it up. Everything about everything was perfect. There was no evil, wickedness, sin, or anything like that within the creation that God had made within that world, even within Adam and Eve at the time that they were created. But you know that everything changed we understand that hardships came into the world. We know that death came into the world. We know that difficulties and struggles and pain and hardship became a part of this world in which we live and it became a part of the world of Adam and Eve. And I think in some ways we might say that Pandora's box was opened, right? In other words, it was a floodgate. It almost seemed like one bad thing after another continued to happen and continued to go wrong for Adam and Eve and for every single person who came after them. I guess even up to our time today, we still have bad things happen today to us and in fact that's kind of the question that was asked as we look at this but why why is that the case why is there pain in this life why are there hardships why are there struggles everything was good back in genesis chapter one everything was very good in fact god said so himself everything that god had made was perfect but we also know that from we talked about this a couple of weeks ago we talked about how because of what happened because of sin. Because of sin in our lives, because of sin in the life of Adam and Eve, Everything began to change. You remember the tempting of Satan, going back to Genesis chapter 3, the lack of self-control that Adam and Eve showcased there in the garden, and that we know that sin entered into the world, and through that death also came into this world. We know Romans chapter 5, beginning of verse 12, Paul said, Therefore, just as by one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men. And we're gonna look at this verse here in just a few moments. Now I suppose when we talk about this, there's a question that comes into play. Was all of this God's fault? After all, it's God's world, isn't it? It's God's creation. He had created everything good. He had created everything very good. He had created everything perfect were created by him. So is it not his fault? Or I guess we should ask, is it his fault That there is now pain and suffering and death and these natural calamities that we see in our world. Is it the fault of Almighty God? Well, you and I know that the answer to that question is no, isn't it? We understand that Almighty God is perfect. In fact, I think you talked about that on Wednesday night and I mentioned that in my invitation. You remember Matthew chapter 5 and verse verse 48? God is perfect. Jesus says, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So the question for us then is this. Who is ultimately perfect? To blame. Who is the one that we get to blame when it comes to the sin and the evil and the calamities that you and I face in this life? Well, we understand that ultimately it falls on the shoulders of the devil, doesn't it? You can go back to Genesis chapter 3 and read there from the very beginning that it is coming from the devil. He went to Eve, he twisted the words of God, he lied about everything, he deceived Eve, and thus mankind failed and its ability to, have, to create its moral characteristics when the tempting came of man. We know it's the devil's fault, we understand that, but also in some very real sense, it's also on us, isn't it? In some very real sense, the sin that we have in this world is because of the choices that we have made. I think about Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We understand that every single person in this world is at fault because every single person in this world has committed sin. Not just Adam, not just Eve, not just the people in the Old Testament, not just the people in the New Testament that we're recorded about. But every single one of us have sinned. Thus, in some sense, it also falls... On our shoulders. How about another passage? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. And this passage is kind of like a gut check, I guess, to us as Christians, isn't it? What does John say? John says, If you and I say that we have no sin, if we say that we're perfect, that none of this could ever be our fault, if we say that we have no sin, what are we doing? We're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is no longer in us. We have to understand every single one of us have sinned. Not a single one is perfect. And if we think that we are, we're truly deceiving ourselves. How about Romans 5 and verse 12? We read that just a moment ago. Sin entered into the world by one person and death has spread to all, but it's because why? Because all have sinned. Again, the responsibility is upon every single one of us. Go to James chapter 1, and I want you to look at this passage with me here for just a moment. This is one of the interesting passages when I think about this idea because I think so many times when we look at this idea of sin and all of the evil and the pain that we find in this life, I think too many times we begin to play the blame game with Almighty God. I think too many times we begin to, to turn our heads and to point our fingers and say, God, all of these things that are happening, it's got to be your fault because it's your world, right? James chapter one, notice this beginning of verse 13. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We understand it is not God's fault at all. God is not in the wrong. God has never been in the wrong. God never will be in the wrong, but ultimately we understand that we can blame who? We can blame the devil first and foremost, but we also understand that you and I are free moral agents, aren't we? In other words, we have free will to make whatever decision and whatever choice it is that we ha- want to make in this life. We possess the ability to live and to breathe and to choose to do whatever we want regardless of what's going on in our life. And that responsibility falls upon who? It falls upon you and I as individuals today. We understand God created a perfect world. We know that. We read about that in Genesis chapter 1. But we also understand this, that with free will, Mankind chose sin, thus bringing evil into our world today. Now it's interesting, if you read through the book of 2 Peter, and we've been doing a study obviously on Sunday mornings, but if you go a couple chapters later, you go into chapter 3, I think Peter makes a very distinct difference between the world when you're talking about the world pre-flood and then the world post-flood. And I think Peter talks about really a geological difference that has taken place between those two different time frames. And it, it is highly, highly likely that the natural calamities that you and I face today, all of those things that happen in our world today, they happen because the world was changed by the flood. Now, interestingly enough, why did the flood happen in the first place? Because of sin. Why did sin happen? because of our willingness, our free moral agents, our free will to do whatever it is that we wanted. So, back to our question. Why does God allow natural calamities to take place in this life? Well, here's your answer. Yes, God in some sense, I guess, quote-unquote, allows it to happen in the sense that God does not stop these things from happening because we have that free will. Right? However, just because of that, natural calamities do happen simply as a consequence of our free will. That is why things happen, because of our free will, and because of the sin and the mistakes that we have made. But this makes heaven sound so much sweeter, doesn't it? Because you and I know that in heaven, As faithful Christians, whenever we make it there, we won't have to face any of these things, will we? You and I won't have to face any kind of temptation or struggle or torture or pain or anything like that. That is why we strive for heaven so that even though we have these calamities in our our life, we don't have to face them for an eternity. We'll get to enjoy heaven with our Savior. Question number two, and I told you we'd go through that one very quickly, but here's question number two, and this is... This is somewhat of a heavy question, and I have been trying to answer this question for the past few weeks, and it has just taken a lot of study uh, in order to do that. Is suicide acceptable to God? And really, I guess we could have really spent our entire time tonight talking about this question, I want to try to go through this question a little bit slower um, just to make sure that I am saying the right thing. I want you to understand that I am going to try to handle this question Um, as intricately and as delicately as I can because I know that this is such a sensitive topic to a lot of individuals and for good reason because so many people have faced this or have seen this happen in their lives. I want to start by talking about a few statistics. According to the AFSP or the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, they say this. They say that suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States of America. They also say that in 2019, there were 47,000 511 different suicides, and those are successful suicides. More than 138 million attempted suicides just in one year alone. On average, there are 130 suicides attempted every, or rather, successfully attempted every single day. And this is what I thought was interesting the rate of suicide is actually highest among middle aged men. This is such a, a unique question. Obviously, it's a very real problem. It is something that we obviously, according to statistics, and you can research this all on your own on the internet, but it's something that obviously we as a nation and we as a world are facing every single day. And as we begin to talk about this question, I want you to understand this first and foremost, that you are so important. Okay, I don't, I don't know who asked this question. I don't know what the pretenses were behind the one asking this question. I don't know if they asked this question because it's something that they've been contemplating. I don't know if the person asking this question asked it because they've seen it happen in their lives. I guess that doesn't necessarily matter with the way that I'm about to answer this question. What does matter, though, and I want to be so clear about this, is that every single person understands, whether you're here or watching online, wherever you might be, every single person understands just how valuable you really are. You are so intricately designed. You are so beautifully created. You are so uniquely created. You are so loved and you are so important. You have a place in this world and your soul is worth so, so much because Jesus ultimately died for you. And we're going to talk about that as we go forward in just a few moments. Our question is this, is suicide acceptable to God? And I guess really in short, the answer is no, isn't it? In short, the answer is no. Obviously, God is not okay with suicide. God is never okay with the unauthorized taking of someone's life. Again, unauthorized taking of someone's life, whether it be your own or whether it be someone else's. That is never okay in God's eyes. But I think the question that really needs to be talked about, the question that really needs to be answered, and I kind of changed this question a little bit, is this. I think this is the question that we all really have in our minds. Does suicide actually condemn someone to hell? I think that's the question that so many people have in our minds. It's a question that I've thought about, and I'm sure it's a question that you've thought about. Does suicide condemn someone to hell? I want you to notice this that within Scripture there are actually six different suicides recorded. You think about Abimelech in Judges chapter 9 and verse 54 I'll give you just a very brief context of each one of these and just so you kind of know what's going on. Abimelech was not a good man in that time. he was trying to conquer this town called Thebes. And heroically, there was a woman who was standing in a tower and he was he was underneath that tower and she dropped a giant boulder out and it it fell on him. And he was slowly dying. He knew he wasn't going to make it. And so what does he do? He has his armor bearer basically kill him uh, because it was disgraceful back in that day for him, for a man to be killed by a woman in war. So he has this individual kill him so that he wouldn't be disgraced. Your second one is this talking about Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 31 and verse 4, you remember the context here, they're fighting the Philistine army and they are struggling, they're being defeated and Saul, he's shot down by the archers and so he's wounded, he knows he's dying and so he goes to his armor bearer and he says, armor bearer, I want you to kill me, I want you to thrust me through with your sword and the armor bearer says, no, I'm not doing that, so what does Saul do? Saul grabs the sword and he thrusts it into himself, thus committing suicide but then interestingly enough, the third occasion is his armor bearer, The very next verse, the armor bearer realizes what's happened, he knows that they're going to be captured if they don't die. They're going to be tortured by the Philistine army. So he thrust himself through with his sword, thus making that the third account of suicide. Then you have an interesting account of someone by the name of Ahithophel. This is 2 Samuel chapter 17 and also verse 23. Ahithophel was actually one of David's most trusted advisors, at least, David thought that that was the case. Ahithophel was actually, uh, maybe we might call him a double agent. He was actually working for Absalom. And you remember Absalom was David's wicked son. Absalom was trying to overthrow David, take the throne, and trying to kill David. So Absalom consults Ahithophel on a matter, but but Absalom doesn't listen to him. Instead, Absalom listens to a different advisor by the name of Hushai. But interestingly enough, Hushai was also a double agent who was working for David. Absalom didn't know that, but Ahithophel figured out what was happening. He figured out that he had been outsmarted by Hushai, and so he goes and he commits suicide because he's so distraught that Absalom did not listen to him. Then you have the account of a person by the name of Zimri, 1 Kings chapter 16. Zimri was a king in that time. His city was being overthrown. He knows he's going to be defeated, and so he goes into his house, sets the whole house on fire, and he does not come out, thus killing himself as well. And then you also have the account of Judas. And I think this is probably the most famous account of someone who is committing suicide within scriptures. We remember that he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, but he found regret within his heart. He understood what he has done. He threw the money back to the Pharisees. He ran out and what did he do? He went and hung himself. So there's your six accounts of suicide within scripture. Now... You're probably thinking, well, what about Samson, right? A lot of people say Samson is someone who committed suicide. There's a lot of debate over whether Samson actually committed suicide or not. You remember that he was blind and he went up to those pillars. He was, in capture, he was captured and he broke those pillars down, right? Bringing the whole building down upon him, but also all of the wicked people there in that area. Now, a lot of people don't believe that that was actually suicide. A lot of people think that he actually didn't think he was gonna die when he did that. There's a lot of people who think that it was more or less like self-sacrifice, and that he was doing it for the good of everybody else around him. I'll let you read Judges chapter 16. You can be the judge of that yourself, and you can figure that out on your own. I say all of that talking about these accounts of suicide to say this. I want to start off by talking about this idea of life. I want to start off by talking about this idea of life. You understand, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, that every single one of us are created within the image of Almighty God. We know that, don't we? God created everything in this world. We understand that. We read Genesis chapter one at the beginning of our lesson. You remember that God created plants, the animals, the birds, the pl- everything, everything that we see, everything in creation. God had created, and yet, how many of those things were able to say that they were created within the image of Almighty God? Not a single one of them, except for who? Except for mankind. Genesis chapter one, and verse twenty-six. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea." Birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over all the, uh, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We understand we are unique. Life is unique. Mankind is unique because we are created within the image of Almighty God. Number two, we also understand that life is a reward. Psalm 127 and verse 3, David said, Behold, children are an inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, notice this, is a reward. What is a reward? A reward is something good, right? Something that brings joy, something that you're able to enjoy in this life, and that's exactly what life is. That's exactly what the gift of life is. Parents, your children are a joy because they are a reward. They are a heritage from Almighty God given to you. That is how unique and how special human life is. Truly is. Here's another passage, Psalm 139, what Caleb read for us just a moment ago. We understand we are fearfully and wonderfully made. You formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, O God, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. We are so intricately and so uniquely designed by Almighty God. Each person is so different from one another, and it just shows the power and the care of our Creator. Number four. We also understand, according to Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, that you and I, as humans, as mankind, we are known by Almighty God. Jeremiah said this about God before I formed you in the womb. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. Before Jeremiah, I formed you in the womb. What does he say? He says, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nation. Do you want to know how important Jeremiah was? He was so important that God knew who he was before he was even conceived. That's how important Jeremiah was. How important do you think you are? God knows exactly who you are. That is how special, how valuable your life is to Almighty God. And then number five, we also know, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that what we have, our bodies, they are a temple of Almighty God. What does Paul say? He says, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. We understand that we do not belong to ourselves. That's 1 Corinthians chapter six. We know that God ultimately owns us. Our bodies are a temple for him. We are simply stewards of our bodies. They ultimately belong to almighty God. Thus, we should take care of them and treat them as such. So, all of that being said, I want you to understand how valuable life truly is. I want you to know how important you as an individual are to Almighty God. Ultimately, yes, because of these verses we referenced a moment ago, but ultimately because of what Jesus has done for you. You know John chapter 3 and verse 16. We know Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. We know passage after passage after passage that talk about the love that God has for his creation, the love that God has for you and for me as his people, as his creation. Thus, we understand how important and how valuable you are. If that doesn't show you how valuable you are, then I don't know what does. We've talked about life, but I also know that in contrast, to life, we also understand that the unwarranted and the unauthorized killing or terminating or the ending of a life, talking about murder, we also understand that that is a sin. We understand that that is also wrong. Go to the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13. Almighty God is giving the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. What does he say? He says it's very plain and simple. You shall not murder. It doesn't get much more plain and simple than that, does it? But people say, oh, that's the Old Testament. We're not under the old law anymore. You're exactly right. Let's go to the New Testament. Revelation chapter 21, what does John say there in verse 8? He's giving a depiction of hell, of who's going to be there, and he says this, but the murderers, this is paraphrasing a little bit, but the murderers shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and with brimstone. Again, very plain and very, very simple. So, Back to our question. Does suicide condemn someone to hell? Let me ask you this question. Is it sinful if a mentally sane and a mentally clear-thinking person commits suicide? Is that sinful? In my estimation, in my study, through my study of the Scriptures, I cannot come up with another answer except for the answer of yes. If someone is clearly thinking, they understand what is going on, they know what they're doing, and they're terminating their own life, then yes, surely, according to Scripture, that has to be wrong. I think oftentimes when you look at a scenario like this, it's because someone is facing something that they don't want to face, right? They're facing a difficulty. They're facing a hardship. They're facing consequences, perhaps, to actions, that they don't want to have to answer to those. They don't want to have to deal with those. So what do they do? They end their life thinking that that's going to make it all better. You you want to understand, just because circumstances and situations make our lives look bleak, it doesn't mean that you just resort to ending your life. That is not the answer to that. In fact, that is never the answer. How do I know that? Let's go to Scripture again. Let me give you three examples very, very quickly. Think about Moses. When I think about the life of Moses, we understand that when when he was leading the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, he was leading a group of people, some two to three million individuals that he was having to lead all the way to the promised land. And these, trust me, were not very nice people. In fact, they were people who were rebellious. They were people who were disobedient. They were people who were complaining. People who were indignant. People who made Moses' life so hard, so terrible, and the pressure amounted to where it was so much so to where, what did Moses say? Numbers chapter 11 and verse 15. Moses said, God, if you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. He says, if I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my righteousness. Moses says, look, my life is so hard. The pressure is so much. These people will not leave me alone. God, please end my life. Take my life right now. Boy, what do we know happened? We know God didn't do it and we know Moses didn't end his own life. Think about another example. Think about Elijah. When I think about Elijah, I think about a man who lived in a very difficult time. His, he lived in a in a time where his life and the life of all the prophets around him, his contemporaries, were so difficult. It was so dangerous. They were being killed left and right simply because they were preaching a message of repentance to people who didn't love them and to people who didn't love Almighty God. And his situation becomes so hard, and it becomes almost to the point to where it was unbearable. That he said in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 4, "But he himself went down a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under the broom tree." And he prayed, notice this, he prayed that he might die and said, God, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. His life was difficult. He was facing death already, and so he says, God, just kill me. And what does he do? He doesn't do it. God doesn't do it, nor does Elijah. Third example, talk about Job. When you talk about someone who immensely suffered, we know Job, did, didn't he? Job lost everything his health, his wealth his family, his possessions, his land, everything that Job owned, it was immediately gone just like that. But then you remember his wife. Granted, I think we forget that oftentimes his wife suffered too, didn't she? I think we forget that Job's wife certainly was hurting. It was her family as well. It was her children. It was her land, her possessions, her wealth. Everything was hers as well. And yet, her faith fails, because what does she say? Job chapter 2 and verse 9, she says, do you still hold fast to your integrity? She says, just curse God and die. But what do you notice about every single one of these examples? Moses, Elijah, and Job. Every single one of them had difficult circumstances. Every single one of them had struggles, hardships, pains that they were going through in life, and yet every single one of them chose life. Not a single one of them resorted to ending their own life simply because their circumstances were so difficult. They all chose life. Let me give you another scenario. This is the one that I've struggled with a little bit. Is it sinful if a mentally unstable person, someone who is not mentally sane, someone who is not clear thinking, is it it sinful if someone like that ends their life by committing suicide? I do not think that Just in my study, and again, I could, be, I could be dead wrong with this, but in my study, I do not think that I could ever suggest that a person who is battling something like this, a mental disability, a mental struggle, a chemical imbalance, who commits suicide would ever be lost internally. I don't think I could ever say that, um, at least from what I've studied. If there is someone who is not thinking clearly uh, for themselves, someone who is not acting in a way that is not them, someone who is acting in a way that, that where their own mind is not working and their own mind is not thinking because of some kind of imbalance within their mind, it's hard for me to think anything otherwise than this. However, I say all of what I've said tonight to end tonight by saying this. You and I understand that I'm not the judge at the, end of the day, at the end of the day. In fact, I'm not the judge at the beginning of the day or even throughout the day. I'm not the judge at all, nor are you. Who is our judge? We understand that Almighty God is our judge, don't we? And how thankful we can be for that. Psalm chapter 70, 75 and verse 7, the Bible says, But God is the judge who puts down one and exalts another. Isaiah 33 and verse 22, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king and he will save us. We understand that we have a just God. We understand that we have a righteous God. We understand that we have a perfect God. That is who we serve today, and how grateful, how thankful we must be to know that he is in control. That matters like this, we can talk about them all we want, we can study them all we want, but ultimately we know that it is almighty God who is in control. It's a difficult question, I understand that, but I'm grateful that it was asked. Because it's a question that I think many of us have perhaps pondered. Many of us have wondered about, yet I didn't really know how to answer that until I actually studied it. And so I hope that this question has been beneficial to you. I do want to close by saying this. If this, talking about suicide, is something that you as an individual have ever considered, if it is something that you have ever thought about, I encourage you, I, I beg you, talk to someone about it. Talk to someone about it. Talk to your elders talk to your family, talk to me, talk to somebody. We are. I promise you we are available to you. I don't know who asked this question. I don't know why the question was asked. But if that is something that has ever been on your minds, I want you to never forget how important you are. I want you to never forget how valuable you are. Never forget how loved you are, not only by people here, but ultimately by Almighty God, because Jesus Christ died for you. He personally died for you as an individual, and I don't want you to ever, ever forget that. We also understand and we can see how valuable we are through the idea of God putting into place his scheme of redemption and how grateful we can be for that. Maybe that's your desire tonight. Maybe you're here and you're someone who wants to put Christ on in baptism. You can do that tonight. You can come forward or you can repent of your sins, confess Christ's precious name and be baptized into water for the remission of your sins. Or maybe you're here and your life is not right. There's sin in your life and you need to make correct those mistakes, correct those things that are wrong. You can do that as well. You can repent of your sins, come forward. We can pray for you and do all that we can to help you and encourage you in whatever way that we can. You are so important. You are so valuable. You are so, so loved. Don't you ever, ever forget it. Let's stand and sing.